podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Neil Atkinson with Andy Heaton, John Gibbons and Steve Graves in front of him right now. Very, very soon I'm going to be talking to Melissa Reddy uh, about being a woman in the world of football journalism and journalism in general. Uh, I'm also going to be talking to Andy Thomas about Dulwich Hamlet and what's going on there. But obviously the focus is on the mighty boys in red and it is on this game against Manchester United. But I think the first thing to point out, and I'll go Steve Graves first, is this is a... This is a Liverpool side that's made the last eight of the Champions League, cruised to the last eight of the Champions League in a bigger picture sense. A Liverpool side that's only lost one in the last 20 and in the league. And I think that it's worth pointing out, Steve, that this is a just quite simply now we can say, we get to say this is one of Liverpool are in the last eight of the Champions League because they are one of the best eight teams in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. And, and among that eight, not the eighth best either, uh, or the likely eight. So that is a you know, huge amount of progress and I think it's getting underestimated and underrated the extent to which Liverpool, from the manager taking over, gradually, without it being a completely sort of linear upward curve, I think there's been, there have been a couple of bits and a little sort of plateaus in there, it's generally speaking been a story of significant improvement, um, which if you sort of take a step back and look at it in context, and there was a stat going around, I think it's in one of the match reports, um, may, may have been one of these, was... Um, was, was um, you know, we played. I think it's nine. Is it nine Champions League games eight. at Amf- eight in, at Anfield? Um, Top line of my match report, Steve. Good to see was you. It yours? Was it yours? Yeah, yeah, mate. Oh, well, one. it was one of the serious, the serious. <laughs> one of the big hitters. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll consider you among the mainstream. Um, <laughs> Goes on press box and everything. This yeah, cat. as Gary Lineker said, you're quite good. Yeah. Or quite <laughs> um, I think out, the, out of body, body <laughs> Ben Jono in one move. By Gary Lineker. <laughs> it was brilliant, wasn't it? People are almost talking about, well, this is how Liverpool, you know, this is kind of par or something. This is this is way below or above below is the good one, isn't it? Par the, for Liverpool by by recent standards, um, barring you know one one or two sort of one, one season where where we sort of touched these kind of heights. This is significant improvement, significant success based on, and you know you can look at the, the signings Liverpool are making, the signings Liverpool are looking to make coming forward. It, it's it. It's being done in the right way. We're operating at a higher level just in every sense than we have been. Yeah, I think Steve's made a really good point there in that we're not getting through to the quarterfinals of the Champions League and being all made up with ourselves. We're getting through and then having a look at the other teams who've gone through already and three other teams have gone through and thinking, well, I'd really fancy us against at least mm. two of them. Obviously, Man City are, are, are far ahead above us in the league for a reason. And so, you know, you don't want to get too too cocky in that regard. But, you know... If, if but we, other, we have beaten them this year. We have beaten them this year. But if, but if the other two, you know, I'd really fancy us against Juventus and, and Real Madrid, you know, who were they trying to kid? And so, <laughs> and so it's... It, it, that's a really nice place to be as well to not feel like oh you know we got to the quarterfinals pass ourselves in the back it's it's we're there on merits we're there as a team who were serious contenders to, to go all the way to Kiev and, and you know it's been a long long time before we've been able to say any of those things with a straight face first time since 2009 Andy we can say any of those things with a straight face yeah, um, just to add what Steve was saying, I think what's interesting is the language around it from the managers changed as well. There's been much less coddling of late. There's been much less, oh, not to give the David O'Leary, my baby's my baby's, but yeah. his language around the fixtures, it's it's, mm. it's a lot more bullish. Like, he fancies us Yeah, there was an, I don't know who wrote it again. We're not very good at this, are we? Giving credit to people. It might have been Cy Hughes. Let's say Cy, because he's a nice fella. When he was talking about... If it's me again, I'm going to be nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't you. Um, it was he, when he talked about the fact that Jurgen Klopp used to try and take pressure off his players, and now it feels like he's very much trying to put it on, mm. as he's saying, "Well, you know, the stuff to be won here. Go out and win it. You know, no excuses." Yeah, you just get the sense that you're seeing that the, the the other sides of Jurgen Klopp, the, the almost the perfectionist, that that desire to to always improve and be better. And I think as well, you've got to give credit to, to the squad. Look, it could all fall to bits, but it doesn't look like it will. The flaws in this Liverpool side are so obvious and yet we still look so so strong. And we're coming right at the end of the season and all that. I mean, even going with that, I don't know, but it's easy to put it down to look, but you even look at our injury list at the minute, it all seems to be falling just right, despite all these questions from the fitness egg and one thing and the other. And he's got everyone firing at just the right moment. It's all, yeah, I mean, I think this is it, this is back to sort of a, a finding the right way to to, to give credit uh, to it. And, and Andy, the other thing that occurred to me as well: this is a manager who, for instance, has made a, a Champions League final, 
And I was uh, I was pondering today whether or not he's looking at this right now, thinking this is actually a really good chance for me to get to win this. You know, you, we forget we sort of act. We do it with all of our managers. We act like all of our managers turned up, turn up, and they are the finished product, and that's what they've got to be. And then they're going to be unchanging. The fact of the matter is, Klopp might be thinking, you know what, this is the best team I've ever had. Well, I the, can win this this year. The, it's not. It's that, but there's so much as it, it seems to be almost the conditions for a perfect storm. If you will, in so much as that we could be much better in a twelve months time or twenty four months time, but not have the opportunity that we've got yeah. now, yeah. given how the cards have fell, and I think the managers realise that. It's a bit like the thirteen fourteen league season felt just like that, and it opened up, and obviously it didn't quite work out that way. But it was kind of a once in a lifetime, you know, and, and so it proved, unfortunately. Um, and I think hopefully it won't be, you know, that we'll have that kind of drop off, but it might be the next season. The quarterfinals is is you know is much harder to get to than it has been, or you know. You, well, the other teams are better. Yeah, well. no, so, yeah, exactly. The other teams are better. I think where Liverpool, we've got a, a real point of difference, and I think it kind of got it, taking too much from from one game is always a bit of a mistake. But the Spurs game against Juventus, John said Juventus then, and I. I worried a bit because I saw what they did to Spurs, which was basically they're never, they're never, you know, that you can never finish Juventus off. They never, they never sort of give up, and they've come back from so many situations. They've got that ring craft, but I think Spurs are sort of playing Juventus. Spurs are sort of doing everything right in inverted commas. You know, they're, they're, everything's nice and it's balanced and it fits, and uh, it's not really exhilarating in the way that Liverpool is. And that Liverpool have that. I guess it's a bit like that 05 thing. You, you feel like they've got that thing to blow a team away in 20 minutes in a way that. Spurs Spurs are playing 90 minutes and it's really well balanced and sometimes they'll come up against a better team and a better team will play the same kind of football and, and edge them out and it'll all be quite rational um, there's nothing rational about Liverpool and, and that's that's what would frighten you if you were any team Is, is it like a boxer who's got a really big dig? Yeah just a, a, a punch that can, can, can end it there you know you, you, might, you might be losing on points after six but you've, but you've taken them out There's, there's, there's sometimes uh, greater in it as well John which I think we've, we've tried to touch on a couple of shows and I almost want to say quite explicitly and Andy it's interesting Andy there's you know talks about the, the, the flaws that there are in this squad and I think that all squads are flawed in some sense I think that there is enough squad in the world that it can never not be but one of the things that sort of strikes me is that the journey we've been on since the turn of the year and maybe a little bit before is one where it's a squad where you feel as though everyone's got a part to play now. Yeah. And that, that was something, in the, in the years gone by, including other seasons under Jurgen Klopp, the 13-14 season under Rodgers is a really good example. You can even argue 08-09 and 09-10 under Benitez. You know, we're talking about, here about really good football managers and at times with really good football teams. But you've always felt as though it's gone over the course of a season from a, from a theoretical 20-man squad to a 13-man squad yeah. where it's been... Listen, these are the good lads now and I can't be bothered with anyone else. At the minute, it does seem like anyone can pitch into this squad for the first time in years. And they believe that as well and I think that's important too. Not just the manager believes it, but they're coming in. The lads who, who come in when they're rotated or, or coming off the bench uh, seem to believe that they're, that they're there on merit, that they're there and able to, to contribute and they're able to come to the party at, at key moments. And, and that's really good. Look, it'd be nice if we were seeing a little bit more from one of Solanke or Ings, for example. It'd be nice if you had a real... Top. What did you think of Ings on Tuesday? I thought he did okay, but, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm just I'm just nitpicking. It would have been, well, it would be nice if he'd have scored. Yeah, exactly. And it would have been, you know, if, you know, a, a real, a real, another, another attacking threat um, off the bench. Look, maybe Danny Ings is sitting there at home thinking, just, just give me a go. I'll score at Old Trafford if you want. And if, and if so, brilliant. But, but I'm just saying, you know, if, if, you know, in an ideal world, but we are close to that ideal world in terms of, you know, there's a few players who'd, who'd maybe been not written off, but but thought of as, as you know, not someone who we can, we can rely on who've, who've really kind of stepped up in the last month or so. Um, Milner and Oxley Chamberlain are the, are the two that, sp- that spring to mind, and and that and that's fantastic. That that's really really good because the more competition, the better. I think it's really hard in the squad to be a forward and not be one of those front three. I mean, you, you look at the, the to Barcelona for years was always yeah. the three, and then it was the other three, and the other three, and then the other fellas. They never really get a look, and they're our brand, so to speak. And you can think with with the rest of it. And it, it, it's had a t- and I agree with John, but it's had a terrible question. How would you find a striker who's good enough to come in, but happy enough to sit on the bench for 85, 90% of the Well, even Barca that could time. never keep hold of them, could they? You know, they always seem to have lads, and then they'd move on somewhere else because, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd get unhappy or, or they'd, you know, they'd, they'd want to play themselves. So it is a, it is a difficult situation. There's this kind of a perfect level for those support, supporting players, if you like. I mean, it, it's not fair to them because they, they are really good as well, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll underestimate the, the, you know, the effects of someone like Henderson or Jan, who people, you know, people have seen quite casual at times about how well he can go and we can replace him well, that'll be tough 
um, because he's yeah. you know he's a serious footballer and a German international, and that's the kind of player you'd be looking. That's the profile of player you'd be looking to sign. Um, so rather than giving ourselves that headache, it would be nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's 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 a lot of quality there that's come through. I think there's the whole squad is. They're either now there because he's bought them, or there because he's consciously kept them. I think we've got to that point where there isn't there isn't a player there. Perhaps Surridge was the last one where there was some degree of agonising, and, and you know the manager not being sure of them in 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 some ways. I think that there's everyone now he's sure of, whether it's from Henderson um, through you know people like Firmino. The, most of them are players that if he'd wanted to, well, they're all players in fact. If he'd wanted to replace, he could have replaced with a body, and he's chosen not to. And that, they've all got that sense, I think. Even you know, even someone like Moreno, who we knew the manager didn't didn't necessarily like at one point, and you know, probably would have allowed to go at different times. He can feel now that the managers, this manager's kept me. He could have sold me. He could have bought someone. You know, he could have bought three more left backs. He could, you know, he could have completely bombed me out. There's always a sort of chance of redemption, and, and lots of players are kind of either at their very best for Liverpool at the minute or on some kind of road like someone like Moreno who in a genuine position to think well if I come in if I am needed and play well then I will get my chance um, I'm going to ask you for a prediction uh, right now Liverpool's league finish and how far they go in the Champions League uh, Andy first oh you've, you've done me there I've stitched you up you've Steve absolutely first. bodied me there um, I would say I would say second but I think second I think third and the final of the Champions League Okay, third in the final, Andy. Glorious losers in the final, um, and yeah, with Steve. Yeah, no second. No, let's take second. second let's take second after we absolutely batter them at the weekend. Second and runners up. Uh, we're going to talk about battering them at the weekend after seven o'clock, John. I think uh, win the Champions League and uh, top of the Premier League. Yes. Uh, is that mathematically possible? I don't know. I, I think, think it's it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't wait to watch the Cliff City fall off there. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much indeed to John, to Andy, and to Steve. Back in a minute, uh, talking to Melissa Reddy, then talking to Andy Thomas very briefly about Dulwich Hamlet, and then we're going to have 15 minutes looking ahead to them at the weekend and whether or not we are going to batter them. We're back talking about the orders, John, the orders, and we're talking about ShipStation.com. Yeah, we are. Yeah, the good people of ShipStation. They must be enjoying what we're doing, Neil. They must be enjoying our cell, our patter. <laughs> Maybe they are. Uh, I'm always. I'm always. I've. I've, I've never had patter in my life, and, well, now, and now there's there's, there's patter being proffered. Uh, we're talking about ShipStation. They're one of the people who do support the Anfield Wrap through uh, the advertising for those who don't subscribe. Uh, it is uh, ShipStation.com, uh, and you can try it for thirty uh, for thirty days free. Uh, you can try ShipStation free for thirty days and get a special bonus when you use the promotion code Wrap uh, to get it. Uh, to get the special promotion, you just got to visit ShipStation.com and click on the microphone at the top of the home page and type in rap it is shipstation.com the promotion code is rap and they make ship happen which we've discussed before john we've discussed in the past yeah we like as a pun we like as a pun and i like as a company actually because uh, it's, it's relevant to my interest and in that they're, they're all about helping people who sell online which we do obviously we've got our merchandise uh, on our website and i kind of take care of it and it is quite hard sometimes getting all your orders out and stuff when you're a small to medium business like us so they're helping you get your orders out quickly and yeah it doesn't matter who you selling with online so it could be eBay, Amazon, Magneto uh, any of those but um, ShipStation can help you it's the fast and easy way to manage and dispatch your orders all from the one place it strikes me that this is the sort of business that you're going to get more and more of uh, out there John really people who are, who, are, who are able to link up third parties I used to you know I've, I've probably mentioned on shows in the past I used to work in shipping a lot of what you do in shipping is the idea of you, you, you are basically acting as a third or even fourth or even fifth party at times in between people being able to get goods but that's always between big big businesses the ShipStation idea and model appears to be that pe- normal people should be able to benefit from that sort of thing too. Definitely, and it's benefiting from other people's knowledge as well. And so uh, you can use uh, ship stations to compare rates from all the top couriers, including Royal Mail, FedEx, DHL, UPS, and whether you have... Uh, one order or hundreds of orders uh, ship station make it easy to, to batch and print the labels and things like that so you can get orders out quickly and keep customers happy which is what it's all about it is indeed uh, easing the process making it all far far easier so it is shipstation.com the promotion code for us uh, is RAP uh, that's spelt uh, with the W as in Anfield RAP the website rather than Anfield RAP the banger uh, <laughs> and yes all of that is there and available for you uh, so take the opportunity if you can to do that and we will get back now on with the show welcome back it is the Anfield RAP and Radio City Talk I'm Neil Atkinson. Uh, opposite me is Melissa Reddy, and I'm sure a lot of you are aware that yesterday was International Women's Day, and as part of that, we wanted to talk to Mel about her job, really, and 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 how the gender uh, question sort of filters into that. And Mel, 
you know, it is fair to say that for, for many a year, well, in general, sort of the concept of football supporting, unfortunately, is being colonised by the idea it's something that men do. Yes. And that gets extrapolated further by the idea that your your job, uh, being a football uh, journalist, sports journalist, but especially football journalist, is, again, something that men do. How how have you found that since you've sort of entered into that world, challenging those those, those preconceptions, both amongst your peers, but also amongst the people who read your work? Yeah, this is not a, a concept that's alien to the UK, I'm sure. We all know, you know, uh, the Anfield Drop has an international audience, so everyone listening to this from wherever they are will sort of relate because I think it's it's just a worldwide phenomenon. I'm from South Africa where that media landscape was exactly the same. I was uh, an anomaly um, and you have to fight really hard. It happened when I came over. You have to fight just to get, you know, a semblance of respect. Uh, and you only get that by doing really good work, work that has to stand out. Otherwise, you don't really earn the respect. Um, and once you've proven yourself over, over a period of time, then the wall sort of break down and and you're accepted into into things but then even after that process happens you still look at it and you look around uh, at all the organizations and their positions and all you see are old white British males and obviously as a young foreign girl of color it's not it always like every time you have some ambition in mind you always have to bear in mind well people that look like you Mel don't really climb or scale those heights to get to where you want to go so you've I think you have to realize that not that it's um it doesn't stop me in any way I I I feel it's a challenge one that I happily accept but you have to be conscious of it because you've got to know that you've got to push yourself beyond boundaries is there something in there and I think there is from the outside looking in and looking at the women that I know in in all walks of life there's something about the fact that you don't just get to win do you, you, you there isn't like some sort of point where you get to go well, well I've done that bit now and we've we, we, we've dealt with all that it is the idea of every organization every every meeting almost you've got to go through that process of of demonstrating yet again that you've got a right to be in the room and that must be you know, it sounds like you're seeing it as a challenge, but there must be some days where you're thinking, wow, this is just exhausting. No one else in this room has to go through this. I have to go through this. I've got to go through this every single time. And I, and I may well have to go through this in many senses, unless there's some quite profound quick change every day for the next 20, 30 years of me working life. Yeah, you are right. It is a continual process. It's not something that you achieve once and then you're like, okay, sound, it's done now. Everyone knows that I know what I'm talking about. Uh, obviously it's not the same with people you work with all the time for example you guys at the Anfield Draft the guys on the Merseyside patch who have spent you know over two and a half years working closely with me Uh, the the guys at Liverpool Football Club it's not the same for them because you know they've all engaged with me Um, but you do find every time you have to speak to somebody for the first time in, in a football respect. And I've the job I've got at the moment, senior football correspondent, means I have to to go beyond my comfort zone, beyond Merseyside, and speak to different clubs. And, and I feel that at the moment with every email I send, with every um, new person I'm introduced to, it's that you've got to start again and, and you know, explain who you are, what you believe in, what you can do, what you've done before that allows you to to be here having this conversation. Um, I, I wouldn't say it gets exhausting because from quite early on, I realized that it's something that just happens. You, you have to deal with it. Um, and so I've trained myself to be okay, to know that it's normal. And not so long ago, I was asked by a few young girls who, you know, are interested in getting into into football journalism, what are the challenges they'll face or how do they prepare themselves? And I said, the one thing you have to be very clear with and you can't lie to yourself, it is a very difficult situation to be in. Um, and if you, if you accept that, 
and understand that and are willing to persevere through all that. And if you're steely enough uh, and if you've got enough about yourself and believe in yourself, then, you know, it will be fine for you. You will progress, but you have to, you have to be willing to deal with all the, even, I, the negativity, the... This, it's a, I mean, what I'd say is, and one of the things that occurs to me is a lot of what you're describing, it isn't just the idea of sort of individual personal biases, but it's just sort of a structural bias, you know what I mean? Yeah. That that's what you're dealing with. It's not the idea that you're going to, you're about to walk into a room and meet someone and they're going to just be rude to you, though I'm sure that that has happened from time to time. It's more the idea that there's just something, something in it, innate that, that, that it, it's like every single time, it, or it can be like sort of a mountain that's just there, that just needs to be scaled. But, come on, we're going to have to scale it again. Yeah, it is It is exactly that. It's, um, And you can look through anything, through any sort of representation. And um, when I got this, this new job at, at Joe, one of the things that I found most touching in terms of the reaction um, was father saying, my daughter's listened to you and she loves football. And when she heard you, she's realized that it's okay for her to talk about football. She can talk about football and, and it's a thing she can be good at and, you know, one day do if, if she so sees fit. Um, and there were young females as well studying journalism who were saying, um, we see what you do gives us inspiration the sad thing about that it, it was touch that means more to me than you know than any sort of other reaction like oh we like what you write or because it means that you're making you know some difference however small it may be and i think but the sad thing there is there's so few females in the industry for for people to to sort of see that progress and and see that faith that they can make those steps as well. I, th I think especially in, in written uh, football journalism, obviously with broadcast, um, a lot of the, the organizations look for a female presenter for, and you know, this is another thing that's quite annoying because they look for a female presenter for aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And then it perpetuates the notion that Females in football are there to look pretty and stand and read the teleprompter or, you know, to just present, to ask the men what their opinions are. And I think that's something we need to get away from quite quickly. I agree with that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on with you as well is how you are perceived sort of amongst the people who are reading the work. I mean, I've noticed just being completely anecdotal. But I noticed through through the Anfield rap stuff that, you know, I think we actually deliberately did a video over the summer where yeah. you, you, Jay McKenna and Dan Austin uh, all said things about Liverpool's transfer policy. And we sort of deliberately ensured that we included Jay and Dan in the video. But then we noticed who got grief. And it would be fair to say that there was substantially, and by substantially, I mean five, six, seven, ten times more animosity was was, was directed at you for giving your view than it was towards towards. Jay and Dan, uh, which Jay enjoyed because it means he could get stuck in. But um, it, it, it's it's worth you know pointing out that that that's something else that you've got to rail against as well. And that again must be again not not like it's the biggest thing in the world to deal with, but at times just tired and the idea that you're going to put something out there, it's going to go online, and all these dreadful male mediocre voices are going to feel as though they've got every right to have a pop at you at the drop of a hat. Yeah, it's um, again, it's another elements that you know it's uh, you expect it you anticipate it um, you try as much as possible to not let it affect you and you can ignore you know large swaths of it because and you just think to yourself I'm the one actually you know out here putting my opinion out you are just waiting to you know tear down my opinion what are you doing for yourself like what are you doing um but sometimes it can be so blatant that it is grating um and one of the examples again on an Anfield rap show I think we did an uh, an unwrapped with Rob and it was myself Cy Hughes and Jonathan Norcroft if, great if I'm show. not it's a mistaken great show. yeah I remember it um and all three of us were in unison about all the points, really. We, you know... If anything, there was too much agreement in the room. Yeah. 
exactly. Um, and afterwards, the all the feedback. This is not even you know nine, ten times the difference. Just all the feedback was about oh you said and that point you made and I was like well hang on here there were three people on this panel all with knowledge of of Liverpool's operations all who have dealt with the club before who have done a lot of stuff on the patch uh, Sai and myself particularly and you know we were saying the same thing so you know we've done research and, and we know that this is the way it is so to get all the the flack in one direction that was something that wasn't one of those just throwaway comments that you can ignore that was people quite um obviously zoning in on me because the only i was the odd one out in the room um but yeah it's something that unfortunately and i have to say this with practically everything that we go through as a female in not just football but the sport environment and everything comes with an unfortunately but it's something that you you know is part and parcel of what you do uh, i want to thank mel for coming in and talking to us about this uh, mel you know mel would rather talk about the football than talk about this and talk Absolutely. about herself so i want to th- thank you for taking the time and coming in as part of this international women's day thing listen She's mentioned there, and we've mentioned within this sort of the Anfield rap and, and feedback that we get. And firstly, the first thing I would say that, you know, if you are giving feedback to any of our guests, you know, think twice about where, where, how you're phrasing it and all that sort of stuff. But feedback is important, and it isn't the idea that people get to sit and can say, well, I'm just saying this, and therefore you've got to cop for it. But I think what we're, what, what's trying to be put over here is that if, you, if you're giving feedback to one of, our, uh, one of our women contributors, do sort of think twice with the way in which it's phrased, if you can, uh, if you can do so. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them far from it. Uh, Mel is more than happy, and everyone else is, for there to be disagreement. And another quick thing as well is that, you know, the Anfield Rap, we are looking to have uh, more women contributors across the board. Uh, you know how to get in touch with us uh, you can do it through social media uh, and you can also uh, drop us a line uh, if you want us to go in the first instance to help at the anfieldrap.com uh, those emails can then get forwarded over to relevant people if it's something that you would be interested in listen after the break i'm talking about dulwich hamlet of all things with andy thomas uh, this is the anfield rap on radio city talk liverpool whatever you're doing with your friday night i'm pleased that you're doing it with us don't go anywhere thank you again to mel see you in a minute yeah, it's your City Talk show, but here's our little interjection from Reds Bet, our partners throughout 2018. And today to discuss Liverpool, Man United, well, Man United, Liverpool to a certain extent, uh, with me is Mary Lund from Reds Bet. And uh, Mary, you're very nervous about Saturday morning's game. I'm so nervous, yeah. Like the second the Porter game finished on, was a Tuesday? Yep. The nerves just kicked in. So why are you nervous? I don't know. I, well, I'm working in an office with Manx, aren't I? You, so. you have a lot of Mancunian influence in your life. I would say too much. <laughs> Way too much. I'm getting like, desensitised to it now as well, so it's a bit of a weird one. But walking into the office on Monday, if Liverpool has lost, you need that, it's going to be dreadful. You need the victory. I you really need... Desperately need the victory. Would you take a draw now if I offer it you so it's, so it's all neutral in the office? An uncontroversial draw as well. Maybe that would be a little bit boring, though, wouldn't it? Well, you, I, you want more out of this fixture, don't you? You, you, but, you, want, uh, you want everything out of it. I definitely don't want to lose. <laughs> definitely um, not to lose. So you're going to just quickly run through our specials, and then we're going to talk yep. to Tom Lee briefly about Cheltenham because it's the Cheltenham Festival next week. So we're going to have Tom join us on the phone. But let's let's start with uh, with, with, with all of them through there. Clop of the world is Liverpool to win to nil. Yeah, uh, it's seven to two. So, um, yeah. Seven to two, that's nice enough. Which ones have you picked out? I picked out, well, I went with the, um, um, well, I noticed the Stratford Band one at 16 to one. It's Liverpool to score from a direct free kick. That's very nice indeed. Um, but um, uh, <laughs> have we actually scored from a direct free kick with anyone other than Coutinho this no. season? No. No, so it would need someone to step up. I, know. I have a theory on this that they don't all they don't all don't know how good James Milner is at free kicks, and mm-hmm. he keeps trying to show them, and they go, "No, no, no, I'm well better than you." Milner's great at free kicks. He yeah. scored three or four for City direct free kicks. They should be they should be looking at James. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, maybe that could happen. Um, and I've also got uh, Mo Magic, okay. which is obviously uh, Mo Salah to score three or more goals. <sighs> He's never scored a hat-trick for Liverpool yet. And imagine doing that at Old Trafford. It would feel very much like him this season to nail yeah. that sort of thing. Um, uh, well, go on. And it'd be interesting to see how like Lindelof and Smalling and Young, if he gets a start, or Shaw or whoever, how they deal with him. Very much so. I think they're going to struggle, to yeah, be honest with you. So. Although it could involve someone sitting in and sitting close to him. Uh, and what else do you have for us? What else have we got? we got a Theatre of Screams. <laughs> <laughs> go on, what's that? And that's Liverpool to score a penalty. 
I tell you what, these I mean, these are all very based on the idea that we're going to do really well. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's for hoping, but that's 15 to 2. And uh, Liverpool have been given quite a lot of pens at Old Trafford over the years. We had one last season, didn't we? Yep. Uh, and obviously the one with... with we had three in 2014, didn't we? Yeah, Gerard, Gerard got three and he scored two and missed yeah. one. And yeah. he would have got a, penalty, a hat-trick of penalties had he scored the other one. What's <laughs> the, uh, what are the weekend options this, this week then? Who's, who's replaced United? Normally it's Liverpool, yeah. Everton, United. Is it Chelsea? It's Chelsea. Um, yeah, so perfect weekend. Liverpool to win, Everton to lose and Chelsea to lose. Uh, Everton are playing Brighton and Chelsea are playing Palace and they're both at home. So uh, it's 130 to 1. Wow, yeah. okay. I mean, yeah. that, that, would, that would be pretty perfect. What's the horrible weekend? Well, that Your, would be... This should be yours. This should uh, be the Marie bet for the weekend. I know, that's Liverpool to lose, Everton to win and Chelsea to win. And that's only 5 to 1. It's only five to one, but but it does not feel plausible. I mean, you know, maybe you maybe maybe you're you're you're. you're I mean, I I think we'll draw. To be honest with you, yeah, I think it's going to be a draw. Okay, I'm going one one. Sorry, in Liverpool United. Liverpool United one one. Yeah, uh, I can see that happening. Um, do you think Mourinho will come out like guns blazing, or do you think he'll sit back? I think he'll sit back. I, I think he'll he'll do a little bit of guns blazing stuff early, but then I think they'll sit back for much of the first half, and then he'll look to work out what to do second half. Yeah, I think he'll want to turn the screw. Yeah, um, we also got uh, Bus Toads, by the way. It's, a bus, bus um, Toad. 33-1. to 1. It's Liverpool to score exactly three goals in the first half. <laughs> wow. I mean, what a half-time that'll be down <laughs> on the concourse for everybody. <laughs> I know. That'll be absolute scenes, uh, absolutely ridiculous scenes. Okay, then. Uh, well, we'll get over to Tom as well, because it is, and I, I am intrigued by talking about horse racing, because I don't know that much about it, nor do you, Mary. No. Uh, but Tom Lee very much does. Uh, does. That is his background, uh, presented racing coverage for many a year. We're going to go over and we're going to speak to Tom about Cheltenham. Yeah, Tom Lee indeed. And Tom, before we get on to your horse racing, which is of course your speciality, you also are a, are a, a home and away match going Manchester United supporter. So how do you see Saturday panning out? Uh, can we just talk about the racing? Um, <laughs> the, the celebration of mediocrity, which is this, this phony war for, for second place. Um, how do I see it going? Um, it goes against every fibre of my being to predict anything other than a United win. Am I confident? No. Um, if you give me the free bet right now, Neil, and you say what do you want, I'll take 2-1 United. Uh, anything can happen, as you're well aware. Um, it will probably be a scrappy nil-nil. Um, I would very much like my initial priority to be United to have a shot on target, unlike October the 14th. Um, anything else will be a bonus. A 93rd minute deflected winner off Matic's elbow or cheekbone will do very nicely. Um, 2-1 United, reluctantly. You're all doing this celebration of mediocrity thing. I've spoken to United supporters all week and everyone's playing this card. And... We've had this fixture be so much more mediocre in recent years and no one's been saying that. I'm really intrigued by this, Tom. You know, for instance, this is a battle over seconds. I remember a Van Hal side coming to Anfield in the scrap for fourth. And by God, we united up for it that day, both team and supporter base. You know, don't be giving me this. Oh, they're, they're all a bit rubbish, aren't they, these days? I, I, for me, this is crying it in from United. Neil, there's two, there's two detracting points. Unfortunately, uh, the... Um, what can we call them? The other mob from across town at this end of the East Line. A bit too good. Got a small gap at the top of the, <laughs> the, uh, the table, which is unlikely to be redeemed between now and May, the whatever it is, 14th or something like that. Um, furthermore, I think what, what doesn't help, not, not that we should read too much into this, but a 12.30 kickoff time, deeply antisocial. Uh, what we'd really like points. is about 7.45 on a Saturday night. We can all go for a couple of shandies and get a bit more wound up for it. But uh, that aside, don't get me wrong, uh, every man, woman and child walking into that stadium tomorrow will be absolutely desperate for a victory. I am. That's a fact. <laughs> all right, then. Uh, Cheltenham, then. I mean, it is it is the festival of horse racing across the country. Uh, it is something that's deeply fantastic and sits in the, at the heart of the British sporting calendar every single year. What three for you, both races and sort of and, and specific horses, with Within them stand out for you as, 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 as ones to watch. Yeah, Neil, w- without going all Michael Fish on you, the very latest, as I'm talking to you now, prior uh, to uh, United Liverpool tomorrow, um, is of course the weather, because they had melting snow on the track. Course, the yes. ground, uh, as of Friday morning, is good to soft, soft. Uh, they've got a wet weekend forecast. So when you look at that, the potential variable is that Cheltenham usually is run on either good or good to soft this year. Um, there is at least a sneaking suspicion that there could be a bit of genuine soft ground there. So that 
on the one hand, is something you've got to harness, but it's also something you've got to be aware of because if you're backing those horses who you've been banking on them getting the quickest spring ground, yep. all of a sudden, uh, that can be a little bit of a game changer. Um, i give you a couple of names to look out for. Nice prices as well uh, because Cheltenham's all about A, finding a winner, but B, uh, don't get too crazy about the favourites. You get strange results at Cheltenham. Um, Tuesday, the big one, uh, the champion hurdle, the feature race, the two-miler, um, most of the people who you ask about this will be rightly saying, well, Bouvedere, he won it last year. He'll probably win it this year. But if you wanted one at an each-way price, uh, there's a trainer called Alan King who's won the race before, and he's got a young horse, an improving horse, who won one of the key trials called Elgin, E-L-G-I-N. Um, he's a horse who's going to be double-figure odds. Um, he comes into this off the back of a very, very good win in a key race at Wincanton. And the other little clue here, Neil, is that he's been supplemented for the race. So he wasn't initially in the entries. Nice. Uh, the connections have stumped up 20 grand to add into the race at a later date. So that's a little bit of a tip in itself. Yep. Um, fast forward, jog, jog on to Thursday. Uh, the first race of the day is the JLT Novices Chase, two and a half miles. Um, Gary Moore's got a really promising horse here, uh, Benatar. He's going to be something like probably eight, nine, ten to one come the day. And yet that's off the back of beating one of his key rivals, Finian's Oscar. Uh, he's also done the business at Ascot earlier in the season, and he looks like a winner waiting to happen to me, is Benatar. Um, there's plenty to choose from. I guess people will be saying, well, okay, those are a couple of each-way fancies. Uh, what's the horse who's going to deliver if we just want to back one in a single just to double our money? Yep. Uh, that looks like in the Ryanair chase, also Thursday, uh, there's a horse coming over from Ireland. He's French-bred, but he's trained by the master, Willie Mullins. Uh, that's under so. Um, his key market rival was, uh, prior to Friday, a horse called Waiting Patiently. Uh, but ironic that I'm talking to you. He waits patiently for entry. He's not going to run at Cheltenham waiting patiently. That makes the job of Underso way easier. He should be a banker for Thursday. Excellent stuff. So it's Elgin, Benatar and Underso. They're Tom Lee's three to keep your eye out for on Cheltenham if you do want to get stuck in. And if you do want to get stuck in, get stuck in with Reds Bet. We've partnered up with them for the whole of 2018. We're really, really pleased to do so. Uh, the idea is uh, around the Reds Bet concept is the idea that 50% of losses will and therefore the profits for Reds Bet will go back into Liverpool supporter based causes uh, up and down the country and indeed around the world uh, local supporters groups can get in touch and can also get involved uh, as part of that process and it is the idea that you know that we can that the money doesn't stop if you do lose however if you do lose uh, Reds Bet also ask you to gamble responsibly and enjoyably it is a mode of entertainment and it is not a means to generate income uh, uh, so do sort of give priority to your usual activities. There's everything that you need on the Reds Bet website for that as well. And there's gamblersanonymous.org.uk and begambleaware.org for you. But we're really, really pleased to partner up with Reds Bet. You've got your United specials there for Liverpool from a Liverpool perspective. You've also got those three for Cheltenham. This is the Anfield Wrap. We'll get back over and we'll chat to everybody else. Welcome back. It is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Listen in a minute. Uh, Neil Atkinson here going to be talking to Andy Thomas about the Dulwich Hamlet situation. But before then, we just want to uh, use this platform uh, that people very kindly give us to thank uh, Dave Downey who's confirmed this week he will be leaving uh, Radio City Talk we want to thank Dave for the work uh, that he did uh, when we first got here on Radio City Talk and continues to do in terms of the work that he does producing our show the good humour in which he has to take a lot of our nonsense <laughs> and has had to for some time including producing live madnesses uh, all over the place John Top Red well that's Top what bread. I was going to say I think there was a, there was a one time a, a ten minute segment where we just read out the ways that, uh, that Dave Downey was uh, Liverpool's biggest fan I think up to and including um, speculating that he was in Mighty Red and, uh, <laughs> um, and talking about his um, his bed Stephen Gerrard bedspread. So yeah, he does take a lot of a lot of our stuff in, in good humour and yeah, just just helped us out a lot. Especially you know we didn't have the, the the shiny studio we've got now when we were looking to launch tour player and, and we needed help just physically in terms of studio space. He was always really accommodating, probably much more than his bosses realised. Possibly so, and it's good that we're saying that on their network now. Uh, but we honestly can't thank Dave enough, and I'm sure he's going to be doing another few weeks at City Talk. Uh, but we just want to go out of our way to say thank you very much indeed to Dave Downey, and also I uh, thank our listeners for the way in which Dave responded to Dave as well down through the years. He may be a blue, uh, but it is allowed that people support Everton and get to do so in any way they see fit. Listen, I spoke to the wonderful Andy Thomas uh, earlier uh, this week uh, about the situation that is unfolding at Dulwich Hamlet and this is what he had to say. Joined now by Andy Thomas to talk about what's happening at Dulwich Hamlet and Dulwich Hamlet are a club that's got themselves some renown, an on-league club that's got themselves some renown in recent years for a variety of reasons, most of which are positive 
but uh, there has been some negative goings on in the last few months. Uh, Andy, can you just sort of get our listeners up to date with what it is that's been happening at Dulwich? Uh, okay, so the, the, the short headline version is that Dulwich have been uh, evicted from their own ground. Uh, with, I think there's six or, uh, six or seven home games left to go in the season, and uh, the people that own the ground, which isn't the club, is always a problem. Uh, have, have essentially said to Dulwich they're not allowed to use the ground for the rest of the uh, rest of the season. They've also said that um, Dulwich, the name Dulwich Hamlet FC, the initials DHFC, and the nickname the Hamlet have been registered by the property company that owns the ground and asked the club to stop using those names and initials and nickname wow. on any written communication. Well, I mean, that is, I mean, we can get back to the ownership of the ground things in a minute or two, but that is an absolutely astonishing move, really, and very, very aggressive. It's, it's, I don't think I've ever heard of it happening before. It's a slightly odd situation because, um, and it, it does link back to the ownership of the ground, the, um, it looks like they took, they tried to take out the trademarks on the name of the uh, club with the initial intention of giving them to the club um, once the ground has redeveloped and Dulwich had a new stadium. Once that process collapsed, which we can go into in a minute, uh, they then hung on to them and have, have now decided to um, drop this letter, this cease and desist letter, um, in the last couple of days on the, on the heels of the eviction notice in what looks like an attempt to bully the club. And on this, I mean, I can see that quite clearly, you know, that for instance, uh, the Mayor of London speaking out about it as well uh, on, on the issue. And it seems strange to me, you know, that Dulwich have got, the, that they've got this sort of nationwide renown sort of deserved through a, a number of different moves that they've made in non, uh, across non-league football, interesting moves that they've made. Is that sort of attracted these owners to step in? Has that attracted the attention? You know what I mean? I mean, it's helpful now from a media point of view. The very fact that I'm talking to you is because Dulwich Hamlet are quite interested nationwide, but yeah. is there something here where, you know, the, that by virtue of becoming uh, notorious for, for, for good reasons, they've managed to attract the, the, this attention negatively? It's a, sli- it's a slightly awkward thing. The What happened was in 2014, uh, the club who were in a lot of financial trouble, the ground was bought by property developers. That was kind of when Dulwich was starting to get a bit of a rising um, profile, but the crowds weren't quite as big then as they are now. Um, fundamentally, what I suspect attracted these property developers to a large empty area of land in London is the uh, thought that they could build houses on them and make a fortune. Um, so, yeah, so they put the, the property developers bought the stadium back in 2014. There's been a kind of a long, complex um, series of planning applications the initial plan from them was that they would build houses where the stadium is now and build a new ground for Dulwich behind where the current stadium is on. Um, so there's kind of, um, there's an AstroTurf pitch there and some parks. Uh, the problem is that land is protected land and the council very reluctant all through the process to allow the, um, to allow the developers to build a stadium there. And eventually the application was turned down partly for that reason, partly because um, Southwark have very tight, uh, targets on affordable housing. If you want to develop, there needs to be a certain percentage, and the proposed development was well below that. Mm-hmm. And is this where the Rio Ferdinand sort of interest is as well? I know that his housing group is is, is somewhere interested in this. Friend of the Dulwich ma- manager of the football team uh, is he? Is, is this? Is he's got an affordable housing group that he's been working with for years? Is this part of where he might come into this process? Yeah, I mean that's that's very much his interest. Um, obviously, he's a lo- he's a local uh, local to Peckham. I think his blue plaque is about ten minute walk from Dulwich's Stadium. Um, and uh, yeah, so his group is kind of saying, well, look, we will buy the ground off the developers. I think they've offered twice what they paid for it a few years ago, and we will develop in concert with what the uh, with what the council wants to do and with the club. Uh, that, but Meadow, who are the property developers, have said, no, we are not interested in selling. Our only interest in this is to get our plan through. Um, so they've recently, they've just, I mean, yesterday, just issued a statement in which they kind of backed down from the threats over the club's names. But they've done so in a way that makes it clear. And they've also said they, they want Dulwich back to play the games there for the rest of the season. But they've done so in a way that looks less like an apology and more like we have control here. This is to drag the council back to the negotiating table. And the council and the Dulwich Club and Dulwich Supporters Trust, at this point, I suspect, are almost entirely done with Meadow. They think they're acting in fundamentally bad faith. 
what happens next then? There is the six or seven games left, and it is worth pointing out to people listening that whilst it, we are talking about the, I think it's the seventh rung of the of the pyramid here, Dulwich are top of it, which shifts them towards the, 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 the sixth rung, which gets you closer and closer towards being a national league size, and many of them these days are professional teams. So it is significant, isn't it, the idea that, and it is, it is, it could end up being a, a, an issue around the competitiveness of the team as well. You know, this is this is a, an, un- an unwelcome distraction on top of everything else, Andy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the initial response has been very good. Dolich went away to Billericay on Tuesday night. Billericay are, I assume, for those who don't know, Billericay are essentially um, buying their way through the league. They're, they're owned by a, a multi-millionaire called Glenn Tamplin, who appointed himself manager and has got various ex-Premier League players to turn out for him over the course of the season, including Jamie O'Hara and Jermaine Pennant. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so they went to Billericay on Tuesday night and won, won away and went to both Billericay and to top. The, as to what happens next, the, there's various ground sharing options being um, being discussed. Uh, Dulwich's manager says they've had offers from clubs all over the all over the capital, and there are three that they're looking at very seriously. Apparently, those have been offered free of charge as well, which is yeah, yeah. excellent to see in kind of non-league solidarity. Um, so, if the club are the next home game is the 17th, if the club aren't allowed back into the ground, it will probably take place at one of those other local non-league grounds, which obviously will be less than ideal, but the um, Dulwich have, for the, for the run that Dulwich are at, they have absolutely massive attendances. They have attendances that wouldn't look out of place in kind of the lower end of League 2. And so there's a lot of kind of ground-level fan organisation taking place. There was going to be a protest march on the 17th to the ground. Um, obviously, we don't know quite which ground it'll go to now, but <laughs> I assume that will still happen. Uh, okay, and people can get involved. People can see it all out there as well. It's uh, there's a the hashtag was being aggressively championed on Twitter. People can find out there. Yeah. Obviously, hashtag DHFC if people do want to get involved and help out, or just make a general point that this sort of thing is quietly, patently ridiculous and unnecessary. And yeah. football's meant to be a fun pastime that doesn't need this sort of nonsense. Precisely. Yeah, that is uh, lovely to speak to Andy as ever. This is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. After the break, we'll have a big chat about Liverpool versus Manchester United, you know, because we need to do that. Andy Thomas there, uh, talking about the Dulwich Hamlet. Listen, let's get on to Liverpool versus Manchester United, or more accurately, Manchester United versus Liverpool. Steve, this... There's lots of Jonathan Wilson's written a piece about aesthetics and and all of that sort of stuff, and I, I think people can get this can sometimes get this conversation a little bit, just a tiny little bit, the wrong way around. That's not to say that Jonathan has more that people can say, well, it's all about results. At the end of the day, it's all about results. It's all about results, and football does fundamentally come down to results. It's a conversation about results. That's the bit that always stands out. But when results are the absolute be all and end all, which I think is the situation that Manchester United have sort of found themselves in this season. And then your local rivals' as results are far better than yours. That's why, despite the fact that United are on paper having a really good season, and I'll even say Man United are having a really good season, yeah. that's why you'll actually start to come under some massive pressure. Because if they're playing far better football and getting better results, it becomes a very difficult circle to square. <laughs> yeah, and, and the minute your results tail off even slightly, then you come under more scrutiny. It, it, it becomes... It's very hard. It's like, what else is there if we haven't got the result? And then the process of the process of going to the match or watching the match on telly or whatever becomes not much fun. And in the end, that I think grinds away at you. It grinds away at footballers. I think, particularly, particularly, and it kind of it's a bit of a vicious circle because it's your more expressive and your more exciting footballers, your fantasy players who become probably least engaged. When that's happening, I think you, you can see it with Hazard at Chelsea, touching the ball about six times in a match or something, and, and probably quite rightly thinking, "What am I? What am I here for? What am I doing?" And you know, I think United are teetering on the edge of that, and I think there's a there's a real sense that that's that's possible. Um, albeit they've signed one of the most exciting forward players in the league in January which looks to you like like an attacking, bold statement of intent. Um, and yet you haven't sort of seen that from them. They haven't, they haven't come out and, and now we play and now, now we, we'll do this. I mean, maybe this, maybe this weekend is, is the time he's going he's gonna to do that. I, I somehow doubt it. And I think the fact that everyone doubts it is, is a big part of the problem. I think, yeah, I agree with Steve. I think one of the, the major issues with Mourinho, I mean, it's the fact that, well... I think if you liked, you get a lot more credit. I think one side of it, and then it's the other thing as well is the, is the way they, they set up. I think if you're playing like Jose Mourinho's Man United and you're Leicester City or Burnley or someone else, you actually get a lot more credit 
because you're working with you know the, the, there's a respect and in, in you're playing to the absolute maximum when I think you look at the talent that he has got in that squad you could legitimately say well why aren't we why aren't we getting more mm. you know um, the, start, the style of player you talk about I mean we talked to our good friend Steve Armstrong about it and you know some of his best Man United teams wouldn't necessarily tally with the ones that won the most it was more how they set up and their attitude to playing football and it just feels like there's no momentum around it. It, it. It's a bit stodgy. Whereas you look at the likes of Liverpool, and I know, look, I know Guardiola spends a load of money, but look at the way he's got them playing. And you look at Liverpool, and even Spurs, there's a sense of momentum and evolution. Whereas with Man United, to a point, it's just like, well, we've just get them to fit together. There's no thinking about tomorrow or the next step or the next step. It's just trying to make it work and damn everything else right now. I mean, look, I think the. I think it's a, it's a touch exaggerated. I mean, people keep on telling me how rubbish they are in the in the second in the league, and you know the, the, the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, and yeah. and likely favourites to end up in the quarterfinals. Yeah, exactly. So so something is going right, and I think you look. Someone uh, tweeted today the the table since the first of January, and the top four clubs are all going at over two point two points a game. I mean, it's it's a remarkable kind of. You know, tempo that, that all four clubs are going at, and they all kind of deserve credit. And um, that's obviously, you know, Manchester United, Man City, Liverpool, and Tottenham. And, and you know, for all four of them to be going at over two point two points a game since January the first is that that's a great effort. And I think you know they are doing things right. That's and a title winning form, exactly. And I think in terms of the the style of play, I watched the game on Monday night, which are, which a lot of people were in. I wouldn't say they're not trying to play it. I just don't think it's happening for them. Like, he's putting teams out. I think that they look quite attacking. And they're just... They, they just can't pass to each other at the moment. I think I think Sanchez and Lukaku are finding it really difficult. And there's not a huge amount the manager can, can do about that, apart from kind of wait and, and hope that it happens. The amount of time that Sanchez passed it out of play on Monday was, was remarkable. He just kept giving the ball away and that's not that's not the manager's not setting them up right. That's not kind of you know, he's not he's not just going, I'll just pass it off for throw ins, you know what I mean? And so it's so it's partly a manager thing, but partly a case of it's just not quite clicking for them at the moment. So if it's not, the fact that they're still getting results is like was well, even more impressive. But then then they go two 0 down and then they blow them away. Straight away, it, it, it's and you don't it's know tough and puff though. It's still no, no. But they, they looked far more dangerous at two 0 down than they did at nil nil. And then the, the strange thing is at two two, Palace then suddenly come back into it. So it's almost as if and I know they got the winner in the end, yeah. but the hair made that save from Benteke's header. And it just seems to have it just seems to be this mad mental block. And Mourinho teams can bloat. Mourinho sides can play football. Mm. One of the best sides I've ever seen is that Chelsea team that had Duff on one side and Robin on the other. And he even and he even reined that back in in the end. I think we we've been a little bit spoilt in terms of having three footballers right at the top end of the pitch who just seem to understand each other. Yeah. And I keep watching games of football, even among good teams now. I'm watching them and going, Liverpool would, would that from that position, that team's in, Liverpool would create something. If, if not necessarily score, they would make the right decision. And, and it, again, that's probably slightly exaggerated because there's plenty of times we've probably wasted counter-attacks. But you see teams, even very, very good teams, again and again and again, get into those kind of positions John's talking about with, you know, Sanchez could pick a pass to Lukaku and it goes out of play. And it, that's, just, that's just an innate understanding. There's a certain amount of fortune in them all coming together Massively. really really good recruitment and, and really good coaching which you know that's the, kind of the ideal and Liverpool, Liverpool that's that's the way we're riding at the minute and it, it becomes quite weird watching other sides who don't do that very well um, why are they so slow yeah why, <laughs> why are they so slow why has he just played it straight back you know run yeah. through to the keeper kind of thing it it it, it's weird, it, it, and it, you know that kind of that may just be some sort of magic that's happening right now, and it is clicking for Liverpool, and it might just stop. There might be just an injury in there somewhere, or something that changes. But right now, Liverpool have got that, and, and Manchester United haven't. Well, they have got, and uh, John said, if they if they put you under siege, if they if they can get balls into the box, if they can you know get in and around, and and play maybe you know a more a less a less counter attack style, and, and and just really really sort of bombard you, then I think they've got. They've still got a lot of quality players who, if they create those chances in the in the, in the box, to be to be good good in your in your box and and, and take those chances. Okay, this is the NFL Rap on Radio City Talk. Moving on to talk specifically then about how you see Saturday's game opening out, gents. Um, um, it's to me quite a 
the timing of it, every aspect of it really has made it feel a little bit stranger. That I, even when I say the timing of it, I mean both where it's fallen in the season, but also uh, the timing of the kickoff as well. Half twelve on a Saturday does feel very early. Arguably plays into Liverpool's hands, John, in terms of intensity of atmosphere and and also perhaps sense of occasion. Um, I'm not. I'm, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who are very confident. I'm not actually that confident. I would take a point in that. You know, a point doesn't doesn't derail anything. Keeps Liverpool moving forward. It's a, you know, I'm feeling all very grown up about it. I'd feel very differently if Manchester City were only six points clear yeah. rather than being where they are. I just think that a, a point for Liverpool will just keep all relevant wolves from the door. Keeps us with, in position to spool United back towards us over the course of the remaining eight games. Does all the business for us? What, what what are your feelings about the game as much as your analysis before it starts? I think a point at Old Trafford always has to be a good result, but I think a lot of things are set up for us to win there. I think in terms of our form and in terms of you talk about the timing of the game, like it's they've got a big game on Tuesday and and they might start to kind of focusing on that and it, it just kind of feels to me like asking my feelings. It feels to me like another game where we're going to win and not get credit for. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and there's been absolutely tons of them this season. Like, we go away and beat the Slovenian champions 7-0 and everyone's like, oh, they're not a real football team. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and then, like, you know, go to Porto and win 5-0 and then, like, everyone decides Porto are actually rubbish even though they've consistently got to the last 16 of the Champions League for the past kind of decade. And so, it feels to me that we're going to win and then everyone's going to go, oh, yeah, but... And then I'm going to pull my hair out. That's what it feels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I think it all depends on... the. Mourinho's ego on this because you look at last season when they won the, the, the Europa League they finished seventh they won two trophies they won two trophies sixth United. they haven't finished sixth, seventh sixth sorry but they won two trophies they won the, the, the League Cup and they won and that's why they're in the Champions League because they won the, the UEFA Cup but he just kind of forgot about the league towards the end he'd written it off now they're fairly comfortable where they are and they're going to qualify for the Champions League so you just wonder whether Mourinho was thinking you know what do we really want to bloody nose off these and well, you know, you know when you see sense when a game's going to be a what a nil nil or a one one from the opening 10, 15, 20 minutes, but they're just feeling each other out a bit, and like you know, we're not going to throw the sink at this. We were all, I think, we were all at the Man United game last season, the one one, um, Steve, and the the one one last season. It was a bit of a strange game, and I was I've been reflecting on it all week. Really, there was the we do go one nil up. And there is Pogba has an excellent chance before we go one 0 up, but we do go one 0 up, and you never really feel apart from that Pogba chance that we're in any degree of trouble. And then there's 20 minutes in the second half where we're one 0 up, and we keep almost getting in, like the side you were describing before, where you see sides play up to a point, and you go, if if it's the the current Liverpool team, the 17, 18 Liverpool team, you're going, we create something from here. Mm-hmm. And we never quite created the next thing. And I just sort of wonder if, without having to throw kitchen sinks, without having to be that intense, what you might actually see is Liverpool being able to to take that performance from last season on another couple of notches. To take that to take that next step. Well, I mean, that's everything that Liverpool have built towards and, and appear to have, have ironed out and you know Salah being being the, the the main factor in that I guess or certainly the the, the sort of the representation of that 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 you can point to just literally the the raw numbers suggest that Liverpool are going from from that sort of seventy eight percent to ninety five percent in in those in those kind of situations and I think yeah I think you're right I think that Liverpool will feel more comfortable to do that and then that kind of snowballs so you, you know the more the more you are comfortable and, and securing the idea that you can do that and strike at any time then then the more likely it is to happen you just I mean look I, I think the game's going to be a draw but I'll, I'll say this anyway you do get the sense and they, they had this in them when even Ferguson was manager that if you get in and get that they, they can't fall to bits mm. City have been there and scored four and five so have Arsenal and you look at the, especially you look at their back line and you look at their injuries when when Rogers when Brendan Rogers went there when we were clearly better basically that you can get the if you can get the Reds to drop a little bit they've got a lot of injuries haven't they they, Andy? Have, they, they have got a lot of injuries according to uh, physio room anyway what uh, no they are, they've got looking at that Herrera I think is a massive miss for them he's definitely out uh, Rocco Phil Jones who I know they take the mech out of him but he's solid you, you know you get that a good back in yeah. Fellaini being out is huge for me because yeah. I, I know you, you, people take the mech but he's, I always worry about him when yeah. he's on the pitch yeah. um, and then the rest of Ibert Invitz out and Daly Blind is out which isn't so much of a massive miss but set pieces and that and uh, there's also potential they might be missing uh, Martial. There's Martial. There's also Eric Bailly as well, who hasn't started all season. Uh, so hasn't had many any run of games really all the way through the season. Do you know what I mean? The heads drop the best centre half. Oh no, I'm with you 100. And you know, Crystal Palace scored two against them on Monday night, John. And I think that's what Andy's sort of driving at here is if Crystal Palace can score two against them, and you know, what could this Liverpool side do? Potentially, if they open up, and I noticed Jurgen Klopp's been 
talking in the week, hasn't he? And talking about, you know, what he hopes the atmosphere is good because then they, they might throw a few lads forward and, and we'll do them. And he's always kind of willing them on, isn't he? He's always like, throw, I, dare you, I dare you to throw a few forward and kind of see what happens. It's quite clever and it shows he's, he's got confidence in his, in his players at the moment as well, which is good. I think no matter how... How big a game it is for them? I think I think they, they still look to keep it tight because I think he relies on the fact that he will probably create a chance against Liverpool, and he relies on his on, on his forwards to take it. And he's and look, we've never had a particularly open game against Jose Mourinho anyway. Uh, just dead dead quick, who are you picking a centre half next to Van Dijk, Andy? Uh, actually, I'm going to go against the Green and go Matip. Matip, love him, love him, love him. Okay, uh, are you picking a right back, Steve? Alexander Arnold, John. Yeah. Um, Joe Gomez. Joe Gomez. Uh, Andy against the grain. Didn't even know what the grain was first time, but got it right. <laughs> uh, Had advanced granary knowledge, uh, Andy. Uh, and very quickly, what's the result of the football match going to be, Andy Heaton? 3 uh, 1. 2 0 Liverpool. 2 1 Liverpool. Excellent stuff. Listen, it's been the Anfield Wrap this week. Cast a thousand as ever. Hope you've enjoyed it. Liverpool, take it easy. Have an easy, easy Friday night because, my lord, we could all end up having a massive Saturday. Sports Social Podcast Network.